Now I want to ask you super technical questions about how the blockchain works, but I don't <laughs> think we have time for that. <laughs> you want to do a, a flow blockchain follow-up? I'm happy to get our CTO on the line. Hello, and welcome to Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam. Adam, what's going on? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Hot question off Twitter. What is the first destination you'll be traveling to this summer with your car? Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't decided that. I, I was just talking to a friend about this last night. Like Travel still feels weird. So uh, I'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen or where it will be. Uh, and because my the top of my travel list is to get to Los Angeles to see uh, my, my parents. But uh, I'm probably not going to drive there, although I did consider that for a moment. I don't know. Adam, you have a new car. The open road is calling. And it seems like the Great American Road Trip is going to continue into 2021. So we'll check back in next week to see uh, what you decide on. Listeners, this week we have a super exciting conversation all about NFTs and the NBA Top Shop product. And joining us for this conversation, we are super lucky to have Katie Tedman, the head of partnerships at Dapper Labs, which is the company behind the NBA Top Shop product. We'll be speaking with her about how this product came to life and really what it takes to make a consumer-focused blockchain product. So definitely stick around for that later on in this week's episode. As a reminder to all of our listeners, the Floor 9 referral program is now live. You can sign up for a custom referral link at refer.fm forward slash Floor 9. Once you have your personal referral link, share with Floor 9 with your friends, family, or anyone you think that would enjoy the show. So when your dad asks you about NFTs and to explain them to him, you can just send him a Floor 9 episode, this episode of Floor 9, and uh, we can do the work for you. Absolutely. It's truly a win-win-win. Your dad learns about NFTs, we get a new listener, and you get one more referral towards your limited edition Floor 9 t-shirt. As a reminder, three referrals unlocks a limited edition Floor 9 t-shirt. So if you're looking to sign up for the referral program, check our show notes or go to refer.fm forward slash floor nine. Well, Adam, uh, shall we dive into some of the news of the week? No. <laughs> We're going to do it anyway. So. <laughs> and first up, we have some news from Spotify. Spotify is buying live audio app Locker Room to take out Clubhouse and officially enter the social audio space. What are your thoughts on this acquisition? Uh, I think this is the most interesting thing that could happen in social audio. I think despite the fact that they don't have, you know, a social platform, uh, really, obviously, you can follow people on Spotify, but this is sort of their first push into creator platform, um, you know, podcasting kind of, but I think that this is a really good alignment of content types, um, where, uh, you know, you open Spotify to listen to something. And uh, this is just another type of audio. And you can imagine how Spotify, you know, they just redesigned their uh, their home screen, actually, that to feature new recommendations, it's, it would give you a prime opportunity to feature live audio shows that are, are currently being uh, being produced that might be of interest to you. There's like a new space on the, on the homepage, right, for that kind of content that solves so many of the problems that Clubhouse has. One of the Clubhouse's problems is, uh, you know, 
is there a show live when you open it that is going to be interesting to you? Well, you open Spotify right. to listen to something and maybe there's a live show. Maybe there, if there's not, it doesn't show up. If there is, it, there's a, a place to put it right at the top of the home screen. Um, mm-hmm. Solves that problem. It solves the problem that I think a lot of uh, the sort of other social apps that are adding audio in like Twitter, Facebook, eventually Discord, Slack, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, everybody else who's piling on this <laughs> the list goes on, this on. bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> that that you don't necessarily open those apps to listen to something. You have to then like see that there's something to listen to and make the decision. I'm going to listen instead of browse or whatever else I'm going to do. Um, so right. I think it's more of like event based. Yeah. So I and you know there's ways to get around that with notifications and stuff. But um, right. I, I just I think the alignment here with the fact that you open Spotify to listen to something already have a way to sort of optionally feature things, uh, you know, that might be of interest to you shows that might be of interest to you. I think it, it all is lining up for for something that could be really nice. Totally. And at the very worst, it just becomes part of the creator tool set that Spotify has for podcast creators to continue encouragement and growth of that audience that is building on Anchor and on the Spotify platform. Uh, so it's a great, a great move by Spotify. And to wrap up this week's news, we have an announcement very relevant to this week's episode, and that is Legendary Entertainment has announced an NFT collection that'll be released uh, alongside the new Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. Yeah, I mean, it's digital collectibles, right? And uh, films have always had collectibles, especially those films that sort of are more fandom-based, which I think Godzilla vs. Kong uh, can lean into the fact that these are uh, characters that have been with us for a really long time, um, actually. Right. Uh, I, King Kong was first introduced in like the 30s. So we're coming up on the 100th anniversary <laughs> of King Kong being a pop culture icon. Um, and, uh, you know, and there, there, there are fandoms that sort of exist around these, these characters. And, and Funko Pop is a company that is sort of founded on fandoms, right? So this is just a way to bring sort of the collectible side of, of fandom into the digital era. Uh, so I think it totally makes sense. We'll see what the value of these uh, NFTs, how, how it fluctuates. I, I would expect that like, you know, other collectibles that are often released with films, it's unlike a lot of other NFTs, it's not necessarily going to jump up immediately. It's more of a, a builds over time kind of thing, um, which is uh, not what the NFT market has looked like up until now. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if the value follows more of the traditional pop culture collectible uh trajectory or the uh, NFT market trajectory, which has been white hot. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And the Zoolander meme, I think it sums it up perfectly. NFTs are so hot right now. Well, with that, if you're a brand or a marketer or anyone that's interested in NFTs and thinking about how that might be applicable to your business or your product, uh, we're going to jump into our conversation with Katie Tedman, the head of partnerships at Dapper Labs, for a conversation about the NBA Top Shop product, NFTs, and what it takes to create a consumer-facing blockchain product. All right, listeners, we are in the main conversation of this week's episode, speaking with Katie Tedman, head of partnerships at Dapper Labs. So Katie, welcome to Floor 9. Hi, thanks for having me, team. Oh, we are super excited to have you on this week's episode. Uh, Just to kick things off, can you give our listeners a little background on yourself and what exactly Dapper Labs is? Sure. I am Katie Tedman. Uh, I lead partnerships for Dapper Labs, and I have been helping out with marketing as well. Um, 
And really all I do is think about how we can bring blockchain technology to consumers in fun and interesting ways that they're going to love. Um, and so Dapper Labs builds blockchain stuff. Um, sometimes <laughs> that's tools uh, and, you know, things like platforms. Um, we built a blockchain that is called Flow that we built MBA Top Shot on top of. Um, we built a wallet layer application, which um, would fall into that tools category. Um, but we also build consumer facing um, application layer. And so that's things like CryptoKitties, uh, which we built in 2017 and MBA Top Shot, which um, opened into open beta just about six months ago. Awesome. And those are just two widely different products. NBA uh, Top Shop, you know, backed by the NBA Association uh, and a top sports league, and then cats on the internet. Um, and so, what exactly is this product? So, it, it seems like it's called an NFT, but I don't know if a lot of people understand exactly like, what an NFT is and, you know, why it's being built, essentially. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, let's go back to crypto, the crypto kitties days because that's kind okay. of the foundation for how we got here. Um, so in uh, mid-2017, we started building CryptoKitties as a Skunkworks project, um, just kind of like a prototype to show you could do stuff on blockchain that wasn't just currency trading. Um, most of what was happening at that point was currency trading, exchanges being built, all sorts of financial services or DeFi, um, as that community is called. And we said, well, how do we do something that's more consumer facing, that has more engagement to it? Um, and when you build something on the internet, you should start with cats and it, <laughs> it's a good point. explain why you are not going to do cats. And so we couldn't find an explanation better than let's do cats. Um, and what we found was that there was a huge response to it. People really loved the concepts that blockchain brings, which are you know, your ability to truly own something digital, the ability to understand the value transfer of things. Um, I say this all the time, but anybody who's ever done a wire transfer with their bank, it's the scariest thing that could ever happen to you. You put so much money just out there and then like maybe two days later it arrives where it's going, maybe not, <laughs> like you just don't know. And so if you think about blockchain as a layer of the internet that sits on top of the internet that um, can prove value transfer, that's the way that I like to think about it. It's kind of like a, a public way to see those kind of transactions. So if I sent you something, whether it was, you know, a Bitcoin, which would be like, congratulations, you're rich, um, <laughs> yep. or a kitty, you would be able to see those things and leave my wallet and enter your wallet. And so it's it's really about value transfer exchange. Um, and so CryptoKitties was awesome, but we learned a bunch of stuff. Uh, we melted the Ethereum network when we launched with only 30,000 concurrent transactions to put that into um, a juxtaposition. We've done almost 3 million transactions on Flow um, for MBA Top Shot alone in the last six months. And so we just, we knew we couldn't build the thing that we wanted to at consumer scale on Ethereum, which is not to say that Ethereum isn't great for decentralized finance. Um, dropping one of of one assets, like sure, there's no like huge lo consumer load of that kind of thing. Um, but for the consumer scale products that we wanted to build, we needed to have a platform to do it. Um, the second thing we learned was that if a consumer loses their password, they cannot lose all of their stuff. Like that is the least cool thing <laughs> on the planet. That's the scariest part about the whole blockchain and cryptocurrency. And it's like if you lose that key phrase or that string of numbers, your wallet's lost forever and you've lost all of your assets and yeah. there's no way to recover it. That is not acceptable um, from a consumer perspective. It is 
awesome from a decentralization perspective, and it is a right that people should have. And that's the way we think about it, that you should have the right to decentralize yourself. Um, but you should also have the right to have password recovery if you decide that. You <laughs> um, and so <laughs> we took that learning and we built um, on top of, you know, MBA Top Shot, but it'll be um, something that can be used for other products, a wallet, which is a um, custodial wallet. So basically all that means is that we also hold a copy of your keys. And in the future, if you're like, I don't want you to own that copy anymore, we can unhook you from the system. Um, but for today, everybody has password recovery. Everybody has the opportunity to kind of have that kind of protection. Um, and so with those two learnings, we said, okay, but what's cool? Like, what should we do that's cool? Um, and cryptocurrency at the time, and I'm sure to a certain extent still, was um you know, heavily 25 to 45 year old men. And there is almost no better space than sports um, for that target. Like that Venn diagram of crypto and sports fans actually turned out to have a lot of crossover to it. Um, one of our earliest hypotheses of NBA Top Shot was that we would start with 50% people who we deemed to be like crypto peeps and 50% basketball fans. And it turned out that like, a, a large percentage of our crypto peeps were basketball fans and a large percent <laughs> of the people who said they were not crypto peeps actually had Coinbase accounts. <laughs> and so right. yep. what we found was like, actually crypto peeps are sports peeps. How did that conversation then start? Did, did the Dapper Labs team reach out to the NBA players associations? Like, Hey, we have this idea. We've done it with cats. We want to do it with highlights. Or was that a reach out that came from the NBA to, to your team about kind of leveraging the technology that your team was developing? We reached out to them. And when you say it like that, it was a crazy thing to do. That we were like, look at this, look at this cat's thing. Do you guys want to do a basketball thing? That's amazing. Uh, because I think a lot of folks would assume that that, uh, yeah, that that sounds crazy. That Would they even... Uh take that phone call, which is amazing. So my background is in sports. I was with the NFL um, before Dapper Labs and the NHL before that. Um, and the contact that introduced us to the NBA was a friend from the NFL who subsequently moved over to work at the NBA. And so he helped us find the right people, but they already had a blockchain task force um, that was really, really well read. Um, when I did my first call, I basically mansplained CryptoKitties to the woman who's now my like <laughs> primary contact who was like, yeah, I own cats and a number of other things. And I was like, oh, I did the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is too funny. With the NBA Top Shot program, so what what exactly is it? What are people buying or getting? Like, like what is that actual asset that is now available? People are buying digital blockchain-based collectibles. And so the way we think about that is we take the best stuff from the physical world. So the scarcity of, you know, um, a one-of-one -one type trading card, whether that's like a baseball card type thing, or whether that's a game-worn jersey or, or whatever that thing is, the best of the kind of scarcity model of physical um, collectibles. The best of the digital world, which is that you can layer a lot more on there in a digital space than you can in a physical space. And so we have great video production um, as part of the package of what you get when you buy a moment. Um, there's heroic imagery. There's this whole kind of like wrapper around it. We put a ton of data on chain. And so all of like the box score data of that moment, player data, all of those pieces, all of that packaged up um, is the thing that you own. You know, we call the moments, they're really kind of like crypto collectibles, um, but they're a lot like a jersey or a mug. Um, when we sell you a pack and you open it and you have moments in it, 
those things are in your wallet and they're no longer ours. And so it's just like, you know, the um, Brandon Roy jersey I have in my closet here, the league can't come to my house and take it out. Oh, interesting. So like like the IP rights then go over to the person that, that actually bought that highlight or that moment or that clip. Yep. They're not allowed to commercialize it, right? You can't okay. buy a t-shirt and then print a thousand of those t-shirts and resell them. <laughs> um, but they do have in our contract at the NBA, you, the user level has those rights in perpetuity. Got it. Oh, that's super interesting. So w- one of the questions I, I have about, you know, once a person owns this, this moment, what do they do with it? Like, is it like, do I just display it on the NBA top shop, you know, dot com? Can I put it on a thumb drive and put it into like a digital display, like on like my TV? Like, how are people flexing? So you can do lots of stuff. Um, the two things that you mentioned definitely are things you can do. We have a um, part of the product called showcases where you can create almost like your own sports center reel of um, the moments that you like best. Um, and you can showcase them in that way. There's tons of social sharing options, which we see all the time. Um, there are definitely durable goods like mural or infinite objects that you can, um, display your moments and other NFTs. in. so when you think about, um, you know, our office, we have several mural, um, frames that we have crypto kitties. in when you walk in, cause those so cool. are important to us. <laughs> um, but also we're building a mobile game that sits on top of NBA top shot and uses the metadata from the on-chain tokens. And then you can play a mobile game. Like that's something like a basketball manager game using those items. And so that kind of extensibility is the real promise of blockchain that you can build on top of these assets that are decentralized. Yeah. We think there's a, enormous opportunity there. I think that's the the two ways that we've been trying to explain this to people are the analogy to physical goods like collectibles and as you were saying. But then I think what we see and obviously what you guys see is the enormous potential of when that comes to purely digital goods and where that takes ownership in virtual environments and virtual worlds and in gaming, we know people already spend a ton of money in those spaces on digital goods and making them more like physical goods in terms of ownership and resaleability and collectability. How, how is that going to unlock that market and how is that going to transform that market You know, going forward? I don't even think we know, to be honest. One of the things people say to me all the time is like, I wish I got into NBA Top Shot early. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We've been live for six months. Like the product is not even 100% stable. Like you are here with us on day one. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for, you know, for building this with us because you really are. Um, But I think that we think there are going to be so many different things that could be unlocked by that. Um, Interestingly, one of the things that we resisted doing very early on was connecting physical and digital assets. It's like one of the first things that pops to mind, especially for people who have, um, you know, a physical goods business. And what we said was, we think that there's going to be great opportunities to connect in real life items, whether that's a physical item or whether that's, you know, a top shot suite at a basketball game or, you know, whatever that looks like. We think there's going to be great opportunities for that, but these things have to stand on their own. They have to be able to be stood up as a digital asset. They have to be valuable to people as a digital asset. And so we started there and we said, we're not going to connect these to physical goods. Um, And then we said, what else can you do? What is interesting in gaming? What is interesting? And always from a fan perspective, and this is something that I tell brands every day, I say it probably eight or nine times a day, start with what your fans love. Don't start with what you think you can sell. 
because what you think you can sell, you may be able to sell for the short term, but it will have a very short, finite amount of revenue potential, and it will create distrust with your fans when it does not live as part of a larger economy and is something that they think that has value for a long time. That's super interesting. And I think there is, we are seeing, I think, in the way that NFTs in general are being covered, not necessarily uh, Top Shot it specifically, but just there's a lot of excitement around it that feels like it's a little caught up in the cultural moment of uh, finances and investments that sort of, I would also connect that back to, to what happened with with GameStop and stock, in the stock market. And there's just a lot of interest in new financial tools and new financial opportunities and investment. But I think we feel pretty firmly that there is there is this very long term road for NFTs in general. That this is not a flash in the pan. This is a foundational technology that is going to change ownership online. Um, so, can you talk about that maybe a little bit? How you see the sort of near term versus long term opportunities? Yeah, I think you know we we're starting to hear which we expected, right? Like we've we've done this before. We did this with CryptoKitties. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the best. Who- that is the best proof point. Is it's like we've made internet cats. We've got the rest covered. It's cake. <laughs> yeah, and w- but I mean, we also have seen the market cycles from that. What we always say is build well, don't build fast. Um, and understood if you feel like you need to experiment in the space now, just know that the, know the trade-offs for those things. Um, but I think when we look at what's happening and we start to see people call it a bubble or talk about like what the long-term impact is, new markets will always have a market correction. That doesn't mean it's a bubble. Um, and that doesn't mean that those assets over time won't retain their value. It just means that there will be fluctuation in the market as the market grows. And so, of course, we think we'll see some kind of market correction. We don't know what that looks like. Nobody knows what that looks like. Um, but I think from a consumer perspective and really from a brand protecting their consumers perspective, if you come at it conscientiously and you come at it from a fan first perspective, it's going to be really hard to mess up. And if you listen to your fans along the way, it's going to be really hard to, to kind of do them dirty. Um, but I think that we think that this kind of market is here to stay. We think, you know, we're only limited by our imaginations with this technology right now. And I think what we saw with CryptoKitties is a lot of CryptoKitties kind of replicas come about as soon as CryptoKitties launched. Um, and then many of those fell away because they weren't really adding anything there wasn't any reason to do that rather than CryptoKitties if CryptoKitties was the better version of it. Um, and I expect we'll see lots of stuff happen in the next, call it, you know, six to 12 months that are um, of varying levels of interest and hold their value in different ways. But it's really hard to say what those are going to look like now. And especially because the marketplaces are so nascent. Um, we for MBA Top Shot, we capture pretty much all of the sales, um, mostly because There are only few third-party marketplaces that integrate flow tokens, but we saw the same thing with CryptoKitties that an extremely high percentage, like 85 to 95% of sales happen on the like dedicated secondary marketplace, just because it's a better experience. You're not going to get a very detailed filter system for cats on a generic marketplace (laughs) (laughs) and the same thing for basketball. And so, you know, I think we'll see some of these frameworks stay, but I think that um, the technology is so powerful and what it brings to consumers is so powerful that it's, it is absolutely here to stay. It's just a matter of how the market matures over the next few years. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Chad, I think you had a, a question or two that you wanted to drop in. Yeah. Yeah. So Katie, I guess one, one is more of like an observation of something that I just think is very interesting. When people are talking about Top Shot, they're talking about this notion of a digital collectible. And it's like, I feel like that's kind of labeling things a little bit short because I think there's like a wonderful evolution about Top Shot, which is that everybody can have their favorite player, but usually that favorite player rationale is followed by great stories of moments. And I feel like that's something that is like that people aren't seeing. So for instance, like I'm a big baseball fan and I have a favorite player, but it immediately follows my justification for that player about a great play. And I feel like that that's one thing. And I'd love to know if there was any, any kind of insights about that, that you guys are continue to think about. And then the second, the second part is I wanted to know if you had an opinion about um, like there was a great blog post that Mark Cuban had put out where he was talking about Top Shot and he was basically talking about ask any male who's under the age of 18 years old if they ever spent any meaningful money on a non-digital item. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two, I mean, you've brought up two trends that we didn't necessarily intend to tap into, but we play very, very well in those spaces. One is a transition to a digital life and a digital persona and living most of your life in a digital space um, and curating a, a persona in that digital space. And I think part of what blockchain brings there is that verifiability of the thing. So I'm not just a Rui Hachimura fan. I have a number 16 cosmic Rui Hachimura. That is a verifiable, there's, you know, 49 of those on the planet. That is verifiable fandom. And I think we tap really well into that verifiable fandom. A lot of the conversations that the product team has is how do you, how do you surface those stories and how do you make those things visible in the product? Um, one of the first things that we're working on is making visible when it, your asset has been pre-owned by an NBA player, because we have so many players who have organically joined the ecosystem and just like slid into our DMs and like <laughs> asked us, the first player that asked us to verify them, we were like, we don't have a verification system. <laughs> like, we have to build that now. Um, and so. So, you know, I think that what Mark said is true there, that there's kind of this digital life that people have now that's really not going away and has only grown over time. Um, The other one that you brought up is the diversifying assets. And I think there's something interesting about investing in a sport that you love. Um, You can do as much you know, research on blue chip stocks as you want. It's not the thing I like to do every weekend. Um, But when you watch a ton of basketball, you get a ton of insight on that market and you know what, you know, who's looking good as a six man, not somebody that is necessarily going to be featured on ESPN, but someone who maybe their assets are going to appreciate over time you know, you know, mid um, draft rookies are something that I'm interested in. You know, the top guys obviously are, are interesting, but where did that, where does that mid tier go? Where does that like end of the first round go? Are they going to be the ones who are actually kind of the future superstars? And so there's this interesting thing that you can do where you can invest in your own fandom. And I love that. I was just like referring to this notion that it's one thing to own a collectible of a player, but it's even better to have something that's an expression as to why you, why you love that player. And frankly, I feel like that also opens up the door to invest more in that particular player because everybody has multiple moments. We hear fans who say, you know, I watch like some of the postseason and I always watch the finals, but I don't watch a ton of like basketball throughout the regular season saying, I never watched this much basketball in my life, but like now I'm so interested in seeing, I have all of these moments that I didn't really know these players 
players before and I want to see them play now. Um, we have crypto people who say I didn't have a team and now I've picked a team and like, I am so deep in that. And like, I also bought jerseys <laughs> like, like wearing that t-shirt now. And like, we see people who are huge fans who are saying, you know, I now am looking at other teams and I spend a lot of time. I have a friend who's a um, huge Celtics fan. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to create a collection just all around the Celtics. Cause there are so many interesting players in here that maybe have moved around and have played for the Celts or maybe, you know, our players, I would love to come play here. Um, and we did a really deliberate thing um, when we built the product of making it a moment in time, not making it a player. And so you don't have, you know, LeBron, you have LeBron's um, like massive like thunderous dunk. Um, you have LeBron's Kobe tribute dunk. You have a crazy block. You, you know what I mean? Like, so when I think about the stuff that I'm collecting, I'm a Blazers fan. So I always go back to that, like Dame three pointer. Like I want my collection to be full of Dame time. Right. You know, it's actually, it's actually funny because I think that the NBA probably better than any other league has done a better job in terms of merchandising moments. Like any Nick fan will tell you that they've owned a poster of John Starks dunking on Horace Grant and it just says the dunk. Right. And like New Yorkers will always refer to, you know, that moment as the dunk. And then everybody knows the history that then follows, a, you know, something along, the, you know, with, with just those those words. And it's like the NBA totally owns that where I don't really know. I mean, maybe the NFL has some of those moments and will be as well. But um, but it's great. I also think that the NBA is in such a wonderful position with Top Shot as well, because it, it really is a player's league, like, you know, where the players really are more known and more more regarded than than I feel like the teams, especially with a younger generation. But how amazing could that be for the NFL or the NHL where your players are in helmets all the time? But even for the NFL, if you think about. Like I always use um, like an Odell Beckham one-handed catch in the end zone when he was on the Giants because I'm a Giants fan. But there is a tremendous amount of things that happen on the field that are not the quarterback throwing a ball or a receiver catching the ball. If you think about the entire offensive line that makes that play happen. The thing I love most about sports is actually the aerial view of it. So like if I get tickets to a game. I want to be at least in that like kind of middle area so that I can see down onto the court or the ice um, or the field. And when you think about all of the things that have to happen and come together for, for something great to happen on the ice or on the field, all of those little things are moments that are happening in isolation in all of those different sports. A back check in the neutral zone could be just as much a contributor to a goal as the goal itself. As a college student, I used to log ice time for the Hartford Whalers. Oh, so I spent an entire season <laughs> in the in the rafters, okay, just watching players come on and off the ice. I, I can I can see a play develop from about uh, six thousand feet. Yeah, it's beautiful. I feel like at this point, <laughs> it is. So one one thing that I've just been noodling on as this conversation has been happening is there is really the NFT and how this all came together is just more of maybe like a technology that has enabled the NBA and Everlabs to capitalize on moments and, and continue to like to spread the fandom. And so if you're thinking about making other types of marketplaces like this, other types of NFTs like this, like it seems like brands, companies, marketers, whoever like they might be like, it's not about monetizing anything but it's about how can you spread like like that fandom in that culture like that seems to be the key to what makes us super successful not so much hey can we leverage just to make money there needs to be a real 
you know, thorough look into your organization, your product, whatever it is to kind of unlock what makes a person or a fan or somebody want that, like, like that experience, like, like that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you start from a place of what will fans love, fans will come. If you always start from a fan-centric perspective, the fans will come and the revenue will come. If you start from a, we have revenue targets perspective, you're never going to be able to work backwards to fandom. It's just never going to happen. And so we started with fans and then we got to how do we make a revenue model off of this work properly? Um, And I think longevity is important kind of in our current thinking about it, that doing something once is not as good as having a plan for it. And so even, you know, some of the organizations we're talking to who want to do, you know, stuff in the short term with drops and we're like, well, you know, you doing that is not going to prevent us from partnering with you. We're just not going to do stuff that's not well thought out. Um, Even in those cases, a lot of them come back and said, you know, we talked internally and we think actually we have a six month plan of how we can do something interesting here. And one of the big parts about MBA Top Shot is we have a feature around challenges. So if, like if you have four different of the right pieces of content, you get rewarded with a fifth, which is ostensibly more rare than those individual parts themselves because not everyone will complete a challenge. And so just creating those loops, creating reasons for people to come back and creating joy for them when they do come back is really what we're focused on. That is fantastic. Now, I know we're, we're about out of time here. So Adam or Chad, I'm going to toss it to you. Any last questions for for Katie around CryptoKitties, uh, moments from the NBA or Dapper Labs in general? I've got a I've got a last question, but I don't know if Chad has one he wants to ask first. I just want to know if we're going to get any uh, any drop on any intel about a John Starks moment. Coming <laughs> yeah, I'll take that back to the team for sure. <laughs> <That'd> be great. <laughs> Top Shot has been phenomenal in introducing a consumer-facing blockchain application. What are you excited about next? What happens now? Now that we have a lot of people who are familiar with the types of things you can build on top of blockchain, where are we going from here? So digital collectibles are kind of their own stream. And I think that is like an almost a sub-industry in and of itself. Um, but there's lots of interesting stuff with blockchain where you know we see 80% of our transactions by credit card, but we see 50% of our revenue through crypto because crypto, you have a freedom of payment that you don't have with your bank account. Your crypto wallet doesn't tell you how much you can spend and where you can spend it. And so there's some kind of financial freedom in that, that we hope that Top Shot is really a gateway drug to where people start to take more control over their finances. And some of those middlemen kind of fall away and people just have more visibility into um, their financial situation. And then There are lots of places that blockchain is going to help through um, verified authenticity in a way that's not about fandom, but that I bought a ticket that is not fake or I bought something else that's not fake. And, you know, that's a whole stream of work as well that we're not even super involved in, but is super fascinating. I, again, I always think about things from sports because I come from the sports world, but in memorabilia, imagine if a player and the NFLPA is kind of a leader in thinking about this. Uh, if a player comes off a field and does a Jersey swap and, and um, like authenticates into a biometric so that, you know, it came from that player on that date, it's stamped on chain. And then you have this like interesting custodial chain for that item, instead of having like a physical piece of paper from Steiner that says this thing is real, you have an on-chain validation. I mean, there's still always a question about how does that on-chain thing connect to the physical thing, but like those kind of conversations are are not what we're building, but are super fun. Katie, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Floor 9 this week and talking about CryptoKitties 
NBA Top Shot and everything that is going on at Dapper Labs. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can our uh, listeners find you on the internet? Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, any place in particular? Um, I would say go and check out NBA Top Shot. I'm not that interesting, but nbatopshot.com <laughs> is very interesting. Um, also, dapperlabs.com has an email sign-up form where if you're interested in our future projects, um, we can give you updates for that. Um, but check out those places. I'm, I'm rather ordinary. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, and we'll talk to you all next week. Katie, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This was great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. 